This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. This is Visa Center with Audrey Raj. It's the first Tuesday of the month, and you know how we kick off every new month on the show with a riveting discussion on all things related to psychology at work with organizational psychologist and CEO of Osaic Hetal Doshi. How are you doing, Hetal? I'm as good as I can be, Audrey. How are you? I'm doing good too. Good. Now, um, it's gonna be an interesting one. Uh, I mean, it always is, but uh, an extra uh, interesting one because we're going to be talking about conflict at work today, right? Mm-hmm. Now, why have you chosen to discuss conflict now, Hetal? And is it because we are all slowly preparing or have started to go back to the office uh, as of late? I think it's it's you know ever since humans were born, <laughs> we've had conflicts, right? Mm. And um, I think pandemic has exposed a massive amount of conflicts, not on a potentially a more physical uh, side of conflict, but definitely an internal type of conflict, meaning kind of conflicts that we have to deal with at home or having to influence and negotiate for certain things that we really want. But it's very difficult to kind of have these uh, conversations happen whenever there's conflict that occurs. We tend to kind of avoid it. And also, um, so that's one part of it. You know, the pandemic has definitely exposed a lot more conflicts um, in a subtle way. The second thing is that I think politically we've seen a fair bit going on in terms of conflict. Um, the third thing is that, been, uh, you know, the data actually that we have uh, conducted over the past three months, the most recent data that we have done, has showed that work-life conflict is not a thing of uh, that we can put at the back end. Uh, work-life conflict is right at the front of uh, challenges that organizations are going through. And influencing at work is very low. So meaning right at the top of negative experiences in the workplace is work-life conflict. But at the same time, people find it very, very difficult to be able to influence and negotiate in these type of experiences. So you can see that conflicts are increasing, conflicts are being more pervasive. You can experience it a lot more uh, visibly also in political environments, uh, social media and our own personal lives. But we don't really know how to influence and negotiate when it comes to conflict. So I thought it'd be quite cool one to for all of us to think about. And maybe as we are exploring the next, um, I don't know, 15-20 minutes, most of us can think about the conflicts that we are having in our life. And hopefully this podcast can be a really, really valuable way for you to kind of maneuver and dance around the conflict. I'm sure it will. Now, uh, just to set the stage, uh, Hetal, what is conflict? You know, how does it happen? Why does it happen? And, and how does it affect us in a workplace setting? Yeah, so um, the interesting thing about conflict is that um, it, it, in terms of definition, it's basically a disagreement of sorts. Um, and, and, and the haunts that it begins to create, um, uh, so conflict kind of throws three ugly horns. Uh, so if you, if you can imagine this uh, physical this, what do you call it, energetic entity of conflict has three horns. First is an us versus them mentality. So it's always me versus you. So you've got home versus life. You've got, uh, sorry, home versus work. You've got uh, subordinates versus bosses. You've got clients versus vendors. It's always got this us versus them mentality. You've got Liverpool versus Manchester United. You've got DAP versus Amno. You've got all this like, you know, me versus you kind of mentality. And this is basically how war uh, was created and designed. Um, 
and continues to be perpetuated. It basically continues to fuel this you versus me mentality. And, you know, I think, uh, Audrey, if you may see on social media like Instagram or Twitter or uh, Facebook, there's always this notion of like the moment there's some drama, it'll be like, oh, now the internet is divided. Oh, now the world is divided. So which camp are you on? And so it's not only a case of the world is divided on internet, on internet like you know Facebook or Twitter, but it's also our experiences in teams, organizations, or within our countries. Uh, it feels like the world is a little bit divided. So that's one horn. The second thing that happens is that when the horns come out, right, like me versus you, um, it, it conflict. Uh, begins begins to become so consuming, it takes a life of its own and it begins to mimic, make us mimic the behaviours that we don't really like in the other person. Um, so, for example, we don't like the person being aggressive and then suddenly we are, we are aggressive. So you can see like United Nations, maybe even like, sorry, I shouldn't say United Nations, but like people who are supposed to be peaceful, like spiritual leaders, whatever, they begin to become as aggressive as uh, the opponents of sorts. You could see like political parties saying the other one shouldn't behave that way, but they're behaving the same way. Um, so the second ugly horn about conflict is that it begins to take a life of its own. It makes us be- begin to mimic behaviors that we don't actually like in other people. And the third thing is that we begin to practice confirmation bias, meaning even if the person is good, so say, for example, they did a particular research on uh, football football teams, so people who don't like other football teams, is enemies, right? Liverpool versus Manchester United, for example. We begin to only see the bad in them and we begin to confirm everything bad in them. Uh, it's called confirmation bias. And that's the only thing that we can see in them. Everything that do, they do, we're like, you see, I told you, they are like that. And so no matter what good they do, we only begin to pay attention and highlight all of the uh, the behaviors that we don't like in them. And we begin to, we fail to begin to see them as uh, an entity with a full story. Uh, and they're really not that bad. Nobody's actually really, really that bad. No one. Right. Now, you mentioned earlier that you had uh, recently conducted uh, a study and the data, was that a a local study? Do you have any data on how Malaysians are responding to conflicts at the workplace? Yeah. So we did an experience at work study recently. And uh, what was interesting in that experience was that, um, so yeah, we had about a thousand employees in Malaysia completed. Um, and it was across uh, different organizations and different industries. And this was obviously during the pandemic, pandemic still going on. And the results showed that majority of employees actually are very committed to their workplace and they find a lot of meaning in their jobs. So what is interesting is that people always talk about like, oh, you know, um, how do we create more meaning in the workplace? How do we create more, more commitment? But our data actually shows that people come to the workplace pretty committed, like they want to do a good job and they find their jobs reasonably, not fully, but reasonably meaningful. But it's the other experiences in the workplace that make them lose it. So in essence, when you sign up for a job, you actually already put in your commitment and your meaning to it. So you kind of get married, right? Like when you decide you're getting married, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm committed and I find meaning. But it's these experiences that you have that actually make you lose meaning and lose commitment. So I think organizations have gotten it wrong. It's not about creating meaning, but it's actually preventing all this other drama that makes you lose the meaning and commitment. So what happened was that we found out that the number one thing that people were experiencing was high levels of work-life conflict. Meaning, um, again, like I mentioned earlier, work-life, work-life really issues are no longer at the back end. It is right at the front. Work and life is creating some kind of conflict and pain. We call this the pain of the people And the pain of people needs to be really, really uh, um, respected. So the second thing that we found out was that people felt 
um, perceived organizational injustice and disrespect. So people's experiences were that yes, I want to be committed, but at the same time, because you do not uh, you do not um, care about the boundaries of my life, meaning by five o'clock I should be done with work, or you do not care about the circumstances of my life. Say for example, I have kids who you know, our special needs or kids who need me during the day, or I don't have any place to send them. You don't respect the fact of, you don't, you don't appreciate the fact that I'm having problems and pain. And, but you want me to respect the fact that you want more KPIs and you have more demands, whatever. So the second thing that occurs with a uh, work-life conflict is that perceived injustice and disrespect. I feel that it's very unjust that you want things out of me, but you don't care about me. I feel that you're disrespecting me. So this thing of injustice is so huge um, and for the first time, we're actually seeing that people saying, I feel like I'm not fairly treated. And that's what human resources, like the reason why we created human resources in organizations, the first thing was to eliminate the concept of slavery in the workplace. Uh, yet people still feel like they are slaves to uh, power and authority in the workplace. And the third thing that we found was that uh, people feel that even though I, I, I feel that, you know, it's a bit unjust and there's disrespect um, between work and my life, uh, they feel that they have very little influence at work in Malaysia. Meaning, if I dare to speak up, I may lose my job. If I dare to speak up, I might be penalized. If I dare to speak up, I might get shut down. So um, these three things playing, um, you know, are, are, are what we call the heavyweights in terms of uh, the demons in the workplace or the ones that are actually creating a loss of meaning and commitment uh, uh, to the workplace, and we call this also the um, the triple whammy. If we don't look at it, meaning if you don't look at people as human beings with a life, you don't look at making sure that there's justice and respect, and you don't look at the fact that yes, people should have some level of influence. This is the tri triple whammy that is going to cause a uh, triple ripple effects um, and in a negative way. But if you do, on the other hand, if you care about people, you care that they have a life, you care about giving them some level of influence, making sure that you respect them, it has a triple positive uh, ripple effect as well. And that, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of cool, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, it's time for us to take a quick break for some messages. But when we come back, we talk about good conflict, um, the cost to organization, the significant cost to organizations when there is conflicts at the workplace, as well as how leaders can make the best use of conflicts in the workplace. All that and more coming up on Resource Center. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Break from monotony, BFM 89.9. You are listening to Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj, organisational psychologist and CEO of Osaik Hetel Doshi is online with me right now. It's episode six of our Psychology at Work series. And on this episode, we're discussing conflicts in the workplace. Now, um, Hetel, I have, I, I have to ask you this. Um, is there such a thing as good conflict? Now, now, I ask you this because you're also the person who pointed out to me in one of our previous episodes uh, about how even stress can be good for you. So is there such a thing as good conflict or can we rewire conflict so it's good for us? Am I making any sense? Yeah, of course, <laughs> absolute sense. And thanks for remembering what we spoke about. That's uh, pretty amazing. Um, I, I think conflict just is. Mm -hmm. Conflict just is. Uh, but it is what it is. It is. Conflict <laughs> just is, right? It kind of happens, right? Um, 
it is it is how uh, you know it, 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 it to me it is a force of energy uh, because there are two opposing points of view and with that force of energy it just is it's what we do with it uh, and there was a wonderful quote that I heard that um, conflict is uh, a pathway towards consciousness so the way that you resolve conflict equals to the level of consciousness that you have and whether or not it is consciousness that is progressive or consciousness that is destructive. Um, and it is a pathway towards uh, humanity, uh, progress in humanity. Um, it is a pathway, but I don't think we use it in, in that kind of a pathway all the time. Lah. Right. Like, cause it's such a painful experience. Right. Um, and, and, and that's what it is. So I think to me, um, what, what I see happening in the workplace is that when there is conflict, actually there is uh, somebody begging to be heard. Right, right. And it's like, dude, like you didn't, sorry, not dude, like <laughs> you didn't listen to me. And, you know, I have a real valid point of view. And I think if we, if we do believe that we have hired the right people, then they probably have an opinion and a point of view that is valid. Right? Everybody does. And everybody is right in their own way. But when they are begging, it normally turns out, starts off as whispers. So it's like, you know, I really, I really wish you had listened to me because uh, I do have a point of view and it's an opposing point of view, but I wish that you listened to me. So at the start, when conflict is not heard about and not listened to and not, you know, used as an opportunity, it starts as a, as a whisper like, hey, you know, when I said something, he didn't listen to me or when I tried to propose something, they, they didn't take it on. So it starts as whispers and contemplation. And slowly enough of time, it breeds into a scream. So if, but, but if we do listen to it, it, it creates from this pain, right, of begging to be heard, this pain of begging to be heard, it, it either creates more suffering if you don't listen to it, uh, or it creates possibilities. So I think conflict is just is. If you don't listen to it, then it goes into perpetuate suffering. If you do listen to it, it creates possibilities. Even in the even in the home, even with kids and so on and so forth, it is always this whole notion that I think I'm right, I think you're wrong, but I'm hoping that you I will be heard, and that's what's kind of underlying it. Yeah. Right. Okay, so what is the best way to respond uh, to conflicts? In order to turn it into a possibility and, and not into further suffering, what is the best way? How do you respond in the best way to conflicts? I think one thing that I would like to highlight before we get into like res resolution, right, is that a lot of us think that it could be because of tasks or chores in the workplace, that's why we have conflict. But actually underlying most task-related conflicts would be relationship conflicts, meaning because you told me something, now I have an issue with you as a person. So the first thing to realize is that most issues may look like task-related conflicts, but they could be relationship conflicts. So the first thing that I would recommend would be, what is the outcome that we really want over here? And the outcome wouldn't be just about the goal, but the kind of experience and relationship that I really want to have. So yes, I want to get a job done. So the first thing would be like, okay, what's the outcome that we want? Probably get the job done, but don't forget what kind of relationship we want to have and the experience they want to create. Meaning I want to get a job done with a real partner who we both listen to and I want to have a joyful experience, for example. A lot of people talk about KPIs and outcomes, but we don't talk about like the kind of relationship we want to have while we are achieving it and the kind of experience we want to create for each other. The second thing would be to keep it safe and not to use power play. So I think, you know, for example, the current government, yeah, I mean, I probably don't want to get into politics at all. What they've done really well is to say that, hey, you know, how do we create an inclusive environment where everybody is safe and everybody contributes to some kind of ideas about how we can do better? So what kind of environment that we, do we want to create? And we, we use this concept called psychological safety, meaning in my mind and in my heart, I feel safe to be able to contribute. Um, going forward. And the third thing would be when we argue, we argue based on either opinions or evidence. 
And so I think one thing that happens is that a lot of people argue based on my opinion versus your opinion. And that's become very, very tiring. Um, and a lot of times we end up having something called the hippo or the hypo, which is uh, H-I-P-P-O, the highest paid person in the office opinion becomes the most valid. Uh, but mm. no, you know, we don't want the highest paid person's opinion to be the only opinion. We want evidence-based uh, um, concepts to say, hey, what works and what doesn't work and how do we move forward? Um, so yeah, I think in terms of conflict, the moment you decide that you are not happy with someone or that you're going into battle, please be prepared to dig through two graves. Because human beings are very sensitive these days. Very, very sensitive. We all have a lot of drama and a lot of cha challenges that we're all going through. So if you want to create drama in my life, you don't want to listen to me, you don't care about me, you don't want to respect me, let's be prepared to dig two graves. Two graves. One for the other person who you're trying to have a conflict with and one for yourself. Because uh, we are going to when it comes to conflict, we're going to create animosity. Uh, because at the core of a human being, we have a deep aversion towards losing. More than anything, uh, Audrey, a human being does not want to lose. So we have a massive loss aversion and aversion to losing. And so if you make me lose, I'm going to have a vicious and purposeless cycle of, okay, let me make you lose as well. Uh, but, but at the core of it also is this miracle of human empathy, meaning if I care about you and I, uh, you know, I want to listen to you, it is also the core of creativity, meaning let's use our pain and be creative about pathways. Um, and so really it is about choice. Uh, conflict brings about a choice, either of progression or destruction. And um, yeah, I would definitely say choose wisely. Right. Now, uh, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier about task-related conflicts and relationship conflicts. Can you talk to us more about that and if there should be uh, a type of conflict that we strive to have and the ones that we should try to just, you know, stay away from? <laughs> Yeah, um, love it. Thanks. You know, I think that's a bit, uh, you know, of a double click, meaning like that's the underlying part of conflict. A lot of times we may feel that it's about getting a job done. But at the same time, in trying to get a job done, we end up having a difference in opinions, a difference in values, a difference in priorities. And then what becomes the bigger issue is that I don't really like the way that you're talking to me or I don't really like the fact that your agenda is different from my agenda. And the idea of like likability rather than um, getting the job done becomes an issue. And so, so companies like Walt Disney, for example, uh, what they do is that they start off by saying, it's not about whether I like you or not like you. I love you. So they build a lot of love into the system. So they come in saying, I love you. And it's not a fake kind of a life. I love you. They actually build a lot of investment to getting people to really love each other in the workplace. And when they start, they start based on like, okay, all right, what we're doing over here is that we're having arguments based on what is best, uh, the best outcome for our clients. And so even in like, um, you know, little animated movies, right? What they were looking at was like, okay, what, could, what should the color of the character be? So what happened was that everybody had their own opinions, but what they needed to do was they needed to focus on the task itself. What is the task? The task is about how do we get the highest amount of people who love the color and the feel of the character. And so they, they said, instead of us arguing, let's get um, customers to make choices about what it is that they really wanted. So they were no long, longer arguing as opinions and um, agendas and whatever. They really focused on what was the outcome of the task rather than the relationship. In fact, they often say, um, we should use very high social lubrication, meaning we should really, really create a lot of love. Like, you know, 
when you drink or when you eat or when you be merry, there's a lot of so- mm-hmm. social lubrication. All of us love each other, but we should yeah. create a lot of intellectual friction. Mm. So the love doesn't go, but the intellectual so lubrication versus friction. So we are lubricated in the in the sense of like there's a lot of flow in the relationship, and there's a lot of friction in terms of ideas, so that we can get the best idea for the customer. Yeah, um, does that make sense? Yes, but yes, there's yes. no there's no hurting each other in the process. Mm. There's no hurting each other in the process. It's just like what will be the best um, idea to be able to get the best outcome for tasks as well. And what is also interesting, Audrey, over here is that the way that we have conflicts, the way a leader has a conflict equals to the way that the rest of the organization ends up having a culture conflict. So what they realized in organizations was that if you are very dominant, like as a leader, and that you dominate conflicts, that you dominate the conversation, the rest of the organization typically begins to have a lot of dominating type conflicts or they avoid it completely because they don't want to deal with, with it. But if you have a also avoidance, so if leaders are very avoidant, the rest of the organization tends to avoid it. But if you have a very visible collaborative conflict culture, meaning we are here to have a conflict, but in our conflict, we become better as people and that we, we love each other more then typically the rest of the organization has that kind of a culture as well. So, you know, a lot of tech companies uh, actually at the core of who they are and what they do is all about um, how do we fight with each other well. And I think um, Gottman Institute also looked at marriages um, in a way that marriages that last the longest are the ones who not love each other the most, but they learn how to fight with each other really, really well, um, very, very respectfully. So, So social Lubrication between the people is high, but they are allowed to have a lot of intellectual friction as well. Right. Okay. Mm. Very interesting there. Um, maybe some what business was the, home I, as well. Can I, can, yeah. Can I ask you what was interesting for you? Um, the fact that it really just relates to all parts of our lives. It's not just in the workplace, but it's really, uh, it comes down to um, how we deal with others, you know, the treatment. Uh, because at the end of the day, I think we are all, if you chunk up, we are all trying to do the same thing. What's best for the company? What's best for all the staff? You know, but it's just sometimes a difference of opinion or difference of the way we we handle situations that creates that conflict. So, you know, it never really is about the task at hand. It's mostly about how we we go about Relate. dealing with that. Yeah, relating and how mm. we go about dealing with that task at hand. That's so wonderfully said. Um, I love it. <laughs> Hazel, uh, just one last question before uh, I let you go. Um, you know, conflicts can come at a significant cost to organizations. You know, environments where conflicts are poorly managed uh, are associated with high rates of employee turnover, uh, also absenteeism. So, as a leader, uh, how can we make the best use of conflicts in the workplace? Do you have any tips? Yeah, I think the first thing that I would do as a leader, so that it's very measurable, would be to create a KPI on um, you know how well we how well we fight with each other mm. how well do we fight with each other and you know how 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 enjoyable can we create uh, how enjoy how, how much of joy can we get out of um, creating high conflict resolutions as well um, and how much of progress do we have from conflict so I think uh, making this invisible ghost and this invisible monster so to speak, a visible uh, possibility and this visible uh, superhero can be uh, a great way to start. So I would just say that immediately turn your KPI into, because human beings are very good at achieving stuff. Uh, but if we are conscious about it, we will always be able to get there. So I think the first thing, I, the first and last thing I would say would be 
uh, definitely create a KPI of how well and how enjoyable do we have uh, our fights uh, or fighting experiences. And then, um, and then the second part would be then from there uh, to find out what is difficult, what still continues to be difficult and create a combat. Meaning, um, let us all go for combat training to be able to take a punch well and to be able to give a punch well and how do we still put both of our hands up and pull each other up in case there's a fall and uh, make sure that at the end of the championship or the ring, you know, the ring of fight, that we both lift our hands up and we shake hands and we give each other a big hug. Um, just like how, you know, you see uh, wrestling championships and whatever not. Uh, the, the idea is, is there. Yeah, well said, well said. And I know you're a big sports fan, so you can absolutely relate <laughs> to that as well. You're speaking so, my language. <laughs> Yeah, and um, if I could share, right, they actually did this with um, uh, uh, um, uh, opposing team, uh, opposing fans. So they actually tried this with like, you know, uh, NBA, NBA uh, uh, sporting teams that hated each other because mm-hmm. what happened was that they used to create a big ruckus in a post-champion, uh, so post-basketball match, the fans used to fight with each other. So they actually created and designed a way for them to hate each other during the match, but love each other after the match so that they would prevent people from getting like into physical fights and for people to actually still party with each other after that as well. And um, that experiment just showed basically uh, finding commonality in each other. And at the same time, the greatness that they see in each other was the best way to to be able to enjoy uh, being enemies, but at the same time being uh, the best of friends as well. Right, all for the love of the sport. Isn't it? <laughs> yes. Okay, and uh, on that note, I guess uh, that's a wrap for this episode of uh, Psychology at Work. And uh, if you missed out on any part of this conversation or would like to catch up on some of our previous sessions where we discuss uh, the imposter syndrome, using stress as data, or the last episode where we spoke about taking control of your work, go look for the podcast on the BFM website. That's bfm.my or the BFM app. I've been speaking with Hetal Doshi, organizational psychologist and CEO of Opsych. My name is Audrey Raj, and this has been Resource Center on Enterprise BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.